You are listening to OPN Ask an Angel podcast, brought to you by the Supporters Fund, powered by OPN. Listen to the fireside chat with top angel investors, learn from an angel, and grow your company. All right. Welcome, Peter. Uh, thank you very much for taking the time to join us today. And we are going to dive right into it. And uh, we created this module uh, about probably four weeks ago. And our plan was that we wanted to interview one angel investor and a pre-seed seed round investor across Canada to start with and learn what they're looking for and how they're going to invest. So you came highly recommended uh, as a fantastic investor, coach, mentor, and all of the above. And Peter, we wanted to, to learn a little bit more about you. So maybe you can give us a bit of a background on yourself before we jump into all the questions. Thank you, Jeffrey. Uh, pleasure to be here and uh, hello everyone. My name is Peter Dalbianco. Uh, I live in Sudbury, Ontario and um, started my business career in 1974. And I probably have been through six crises now <laughs> since that time because I started off uh, retailing eight track tapes. Some of you are probably too young to understand what that is, but eight track tapes is where I started and we sell, sold LPs out of our store. And I started off with uh, something that was about 700 square feet and bottom line uh, that developed into Bianco's super center as we expanded and opened up multiple stores. Uh, around that time, the end of the 70s, we started having some real great discussions about all the VHS and beta stuff that was coming out. So I was at the forefront of the video revolution, became very, very uh, aggressive in getting together with uh, a new company out of Portland, Oregon, of all places, by the name of National Video. Um, quickly opened up multiple franchises all over the north and the president of that national video said at that time, you're wasting your time up in Sudbury, come to Toronto. So I moved to Toronto for about five years, became head of uh, president of national video Canada. Then I invested in the company in Portland, Oregon, board everything I could. And that was my first angel investment in 1984. I became the second largest shareholder of NVI. We took it public in 1986 on NASDAQ. And that's really where a lot of my training in terms of mentoring, uh, in getting involved with angel type work because we had an incredible board, just an, an amazing board. And I was on that board for about 12 years and uh, the company uh, quickly transitioned from being a video store franchisor. We sold that off and became data collectors. And the name of the company was called Rentrack for rental transactions. And Rentrack went on to be very successful and merged uh, many years later with Comscore and and I was, uh, still have a few little shares of, the, of that company left. And uh, so a lot of the work that I've been doing is um, traveling through all of the 80s and 90s between Portland, Oregon, the States and Canada, uh, mentoring a lot of franchisees, a lot of stores in terms of technology. And I, I feel that uh, technology, I feel that um, the ability to to convince people to come into your store, to purchase your product, the messaging, the marketing, the salesmanship, uh, and management, of course, because we at one time we had, I don't know, 15 stores, 16 stores, personally. And, um, and after running around the country for 20 odd years, I decided let's focus back into Sudbury. We opened up a bigger store, got into some other things, and bottom line, um, got to a point by 2014 that 
I had so many individuals locally come into, into the store, say, Peter, you've been doing this. You're successful at that. Can you help me with this idea? Can you help me with that idea? And I said, you know, I really like this. I really like the idea of helping young people because I had seen a brain drain from Northern Ontario for so long, so, so long. And I had seen the frustrations with the local political system throughout the North. And, and very quickly, uh, and by 2014, became involved with Mary Long Irwin, who is the managing, the executive director for the Northern Ontario Angels out of, out of Thunder Bay. And she says, I have no representation in Sudbury. We have consultants throughout Northern Ontario. And she says, I'm looking for, for somebody to be a consultant who's got your experience. So we signed a nice little contract for five years. I said, I've got five years. And I split my retail business at that time. My partner bought me out of that. I'm no longer involved in retail. And I basically started doing management consulting. Found uh, a, 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 a huge demand for it. But I really concentrated on the two factors, the, the Northern Ontario Angels, the NOA, and the Regional Innovation Center at NORCAT, which is the Sudbury Regional Innovation Center. It's called NORCAT Innovation. And under the uh, leadership of a brilliant young man by the name of Don Duval, we really saw eye to eye and what had to be done in, in pushing the whole ecosystem within Sudbury. And so I got involved with uh, mentoring, uh, investing in companies, do, doing work specifically over the last five or six years with uh, local in individuals and as our reputation spread throughout the North. And we raised just over, so far, we've raised just over $7 million for different startups here in Sudbury. So we're quite, quite proud of having worked together to get some of these companies up and running and staying here locally, building companies here locally. Because like I said before, we never had a lot of places to go. There just wasn't a place to go to get the mentoring. And Southern Ontario was always such a draw. And um, so, so far, so good. And that's what brings me to where I am. That's a pretty amazing background. You've, uh, you've been investing a very long time, but working with startups and giving it back the entire time as well. So that I think uh, really rounds your career very well and nicely that uh, not only were you driving business in a big way, but you were also helping others along. And uh, I've chatted with a few companies over the years in Sudbury and uh, they always talked about the regional innovation centers. So I think that that's, uh, uh, that's an attestment to what you guys have done. So that's, uh, that's pretty exciting. Very cool. Thank so you. in you, you mentioned a little bit uh, about your first investment. What was, what got you into investing? What really got you excited about it? What was the, the real reason or the best part of why you jumped into it? Um, I've, I've always felt, um, I've always measured my successes by the failures I've had, the hardships that I've had. I, I've given talks to carp people, you know, the, the old folk people, and I've given talks to startups, and I've given talks to bankers and regional innovation centers throughout the North. And I said, you know, thank God I had a lot of failures. Thank God I made a lot of mistakes. And um, I think where um, I really found that startup and national video that I could be a help because I quickly saw when I went to Toronto that, you know, we sold 135 franchises, basically myself going from coast to coast. And um, when I saw that they were in trouble, they were in trouble in, in, in Portland, Oregon. I thought, you know, I think I can make a difference here. Uh, and I love the business. Absolutely passionate about the business. And I can bring so much 
education to the franchisees. And uh, because I, when I first started in business, the way I started off was buying a franchise, which turned out to be a disaster. And I quickly learned that there's a right way to do franchising and a bad way to do franchising. And I, I, I'm a firm believer, believer in the franchise system. Um, I have my opinions of what makes it successful and what doesn't. I've been very fortunate to be involved with about 30 odd years with uh, um, an individual who was McDonald's here in Sudbury and God bless his soul. We did a lot of comparing So I'm really pretty good about franchising and that's why I joined the company. That's why I bought into it and um, sat on the board for 12 years. Amazing. So you continue to kind of have that real drive and desire to help support uh, through investments. So that's kind of, uh, I guess, working with these early stage startup um, people that are coming in and, and looking, how can I make a business? How can I make this succeed? And you're jumping in there saying, I love what you're doing. and I'm going to get behind you. So you kind of gave an idea of what helped you get started. What's your favorite part about investing? I, it really is, is the mentoring part of it. Um, I, I always try to take some sort of position within the company. Uh, I don't, I don't, I know there's a question coming up about do you take board positions? Not anymore. Um, I, I took quite enough before I got involved strictly with managing. And again, for many different reasons, I do allow myself to um, become a special advisor to the board, how to set up a board properly, how to mentor the boards, how to, what to look for. And so the real exciting part of this is trying to pass on the experience and all the mistakes I made and, and uh, hopefully try to short circuit because when I started, there was nothing like it. There was nowhere we could turn to. I mean, God bless. If I had listened to my accountant, my banker, my parents, uh, I would never would have started in business. I mean, I had a very nice job as a federal employee. I, I'm an engineer, basically a surveyor by trade. And uh, very honestly, uh, there was just nowhere to turn. And I've always felt this passion for uh, bright young people with great ideas, with passion, with, with just have, have the right guts to say, I want to build it myself. I want to try it out. And uh, so I, I really like, I love, as you can tell from my voice, I love that part of it. Uh, to me, um, that's where I can be the most useful. Well, that's amazing on the, on the mentoring side because, and, and the risk side, because once you kind of get into it, the risk is, it, it kind of dulls itself down for the excitement of the go get it and make it happen. And obviously you've done that quite well and, and many of times. And it, it's fascinating that when you say, you know, my, from my parents to your legal to everybody, they would never have forced you into because risk management is so different uh, when you're in a, a job that you've been doing for a long time. And it's hard to get people to really dive in deeply. And, and I know just as myself growing up too, it was the same. And uh, oddly enough, throughout all these years, I probably guessed that probably half my, all my family probably don't even know what I do every day. But the best part is, is that my mother joins every single one of these calls. And it's like, she's having this, I think my mom's going to turn into an investor soon because she's getting so excited to learn about all these investors and startups all over the world. It's pretty exciting. So I think that once you take that leap of faith and that step, but you have the right people supporting you uh, from the mentorship, I think it really will help you move forward quicker, uh, but also help you miss some of those hurdles because those are the scariest part. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 the, and the mistakes that, that especially during a time of crisis, I mean, it, I have, I have not been 
busier in the last three months than you can, my wife will attest to it. Like it's one Zoom meeting after another, hand-holding the people that I've been involved with. I'm still quite intimately involved with about 10 companies here locally. And uh, it, it really becomes a, a, a tremendous amount of uh, uh, saying, okay, guys, here's what's going to happen. And just sort of let's focus, let's focus. There's going to be all kinds of things that are going to knock you down and take a deep breath because with resilience, with passion, with hard work, with the right type of mentoring, you'll get through it. You will, I promise you, you'll get through it one way or the other. I mean, if you have to pivot and, 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 and it's okay to make mistakes, uh, let's, let's learn from it. Let's move on. So, no, and, and you, you touch on a really good point there is that you're going to make mistakes, but if you don't communicate them, no one's going to be able to help you. No one's going to be able to step in to, to help guide you through these. So you do have to be very vocal and, and communicative to the people that you do bring into your inner circle, if you will, and share enough with them to, to kind of move and, and grow with that. So you mentioned that you still work with a bunch of companies to this date. Um, in your in your tenor of investing, do you have um, a kind of a hypothesis of what you're trying to, how many companies you want to invest in per year or work with each year? Do you have um, any methods or any process that you've put together for this? Or do you try to keep it just ad hoc, wait to see what happens? Like, how do you, how do you work with that? Um, well, I, again, I, I may have shared with you, I'm not sure with the rest of the individuals on this, uh, on this in this meeting right now, that uh, I promised that at the end of uh, the age of 72, I would no longer invest in other companies. I would continue mentoring if I can, but I, I would not invest in any more. And up to that time, I think I had invested in five or six companies. And I was a special advisor to about four or five other ones. And what I, what I look for is a very simple rating system. I call it Peter Dalbianco's rating system. And it's all about the value proposition. It, it, you know, you, we keep hearing about the value proposition. And, and of course, I break it down to, to three. And of course, number one is always people. It's, I, I can't explain more than, than how many times if I don't get the right vibe from the person, if I, you know, and, and, and doing my due diligence, find out that they're bullshitting me. And, and so it's always about people especially people who have done it before, who have built something before that are capable of, of performing uh, uh, under the risk, as you call it, the risk factors of how to start a company and how to make it grow and succeed. Um, I, I look for those type of qualities within the team. Um, I look for, again, brilliance in, in, in terms of uh, what need are they actually fulfilling? You've got the people, okay, so convince me that there is a need there and and so and I, I'm pretty good at a couple of different things whether it's in the technology sector and like I said I've had quite a few years of if you want to call it experience with how to survive against competition through all of the electronics and the consumerism that's gone on for the last 45 years and so if it's there uh, if it's healthcare, it's if it's about your uh, IP that you have what are you really fulfilling in that need. If you can't convince me, then it's just not going to get anywhere. And then it comes down to prove to me, yes, there's a need, but prove to me that people will buy from you, that people will want what you say that you are going to provide your need to solve the problem. Tell me 
what work have you done to be able to convince me that there is a demand for what you're doing, that there, people are going to be lining up for what you're doing. And I'm sure, you know, you, you look at all the great angels that have been out there over the last 30 odd years from the Google boys to all the people who invested in Amazon and, 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 and that's, it's kind of basic. Those three factors are kind of basic in terms of how uh, big angels, super angels and us, our ordinary angels that have gone through the, the school of hard knocks, how we get to a point of valuing which companies we involve with and stay involved with and want to support so they get some sort of success and exit. And hopefully that answers your question. No, that was great. And so now you've kind of, you're, you're really building out this value proposition uh, and working with the startup. Is there any verticals you focus on or anything that you really think uh, makes a difference right now or in the past that you really liked that's, uh, that's done well? Uh, I, like I say, I think probably one of my first loves is, is healthcare uh, because of, uh, of uh, some of the issues that I've had. Um, I mean, sharing with you, it doesn't I mean, have that. I have seven stents. <laughs> inside of me and I uh, try to stay as fit as I possibly can and I'm become a poster boy for my cardiologist but I do have concerns about you know that I've got these in me and, and I have to try to really manage stress extremely well um, and I get very passionate who I get involved with so I have to be careful how I get involved with them because I want to throw myself into it so, so the, the real part of how I um, uh, want to go forward is, again, continuing with the mentoring type part, but being able to sort of really focus on healthcare. Healthcare uh, proved to me, because we can sustain the healthcare system the way it is right now in Ontario. And, um, and we talked, for example, that you were, had, I regained the other day or yesterday as, as, as a pitch. And I immediately after probably spending a good 30, 40 hours uh, under, trying to understand what they were going to do. And I saw this as just a tremendous opportunity to really save the healthcare system millions and millions of dollars. How can you take all these people that suffer from stroke and turn them back into being productive and off the healthcare system? And, um, and, and in all my research, there was nothing like what Benita has done in terms of the neuroplasticity and the way it goes after it, right? But the real, the real beauty I see of this, of course, is that here COVID has presented such an incredible opportunity for us because the MyHand device, where I see having thousands of devices out there, I mean, if somebody gave me $7 million today, I basically would take that company. I'm too old to be this, you know, to help be formally take over the CEO job. But we would go find ourselves a rock star CEO and let Vinit do what he's really good at, which he's a tremendous clinician. So we would have thousands of these machines out there, all connected by AI, collecting data right across everywhere that we would put them. And so I just foresee where this is going, right? So the technology with healthcare, saving money, saving people. Uh, so that gives you a bit of an idea how I look at all of the, uh, the investments that I get involved with. So healthcare is number one, technology, of course, number two, Franchising number three, anything to do with technology, especially from the software side. I'm not too keen anymore. I'm doing inventory after 40 years of trying to balance inventory. I don't get involved too much about the inventory. Um, uh, if, for example, you want to have a new piece of hardware, I have really challenges. You'd have to convince me about before I invest in anything to do with hardware. 
but I love the IP part, the software part, and I've invested in a couple of companies on IT and um, that have done you know, well so far. And then I guess the third one is the franchising part of it. If somebody has an idea, a brilliant idea, I know exactly how what I'm looking for to try to help them put together a very strong franchise. We have a tremendous success story here in Sudbury with uh, Sherry Tomchuk, uh, Tomchuk and her Plan A. And when I started working with her about five or six years ago, um, uh, bottom line, she's a rock star, absolutely rock star in terms of long-term care, especially nowadays with COVID. And um, she's probably one, she's got 28 franchises. She's got franchises out West, just a tremendous young lady. I'm very proud of her. Oh, that's amazing. And obviously a great story too. We'd like to hear the, the, the companies that are doing well and they, they've taken something from uh, an idea all the way through to make it uh, uh, across Canada. So that's pretty exciting, especially in healthcare right now. There's so much stuff coming out uh, around long-term care. So that's amazing that uh, she's been able to do that. Yeah. Um, in your, uh, when you're going through and working with these companies and you're getting ready for an investment, is there any feedback or anything that you really want to focus in on? Uh, you mentioned obviously before you have a couple of um, tiers that you look at from the people. Is there anything in the due diligence in the documentation uh, or around the team that you really want to emphasize on that makes a big difference on an investment that you've or investments you have made in the past? Well, uh, the paperwork, yes, is, is, is extremely important. Um, and and I, I find myself, uh, especially now after the last five or six years, I don't waste too much time um, myself personally um, trying to educate let's say the startup uh, convincing them that you have to have the proper paperwork I mean you've got to form the right company you've got you've got to find some sort of accounting somewhere that you can start putting together a shareholders agreement and what you're offering in terms of equity and where I really get involved with uh, and, and to me, that's pretty standard. I mean, there's, it's kind of a check mark, check mark, check mark. Prove to me you have all of these. And I have a list of due diligence that people have to fill in <clears throat> in terms of the paperwork. And then I check it out and I read it through and I can read it pretty quickly, whether it's bullshit or not, excuse the expression, and get to the point as, okay, now let's, let's really get down to the brass tacks. Let's see what you're going to offer somebody if you're going to try to attract investors what are we going to value this at? What is the valuation? Let's really get into the nitty gritty of the numbers. And, and that's what interests me a lot is when I actually see the financials of where you're going to make money, what's your margin, how are you going to compete? What's, what's, what's your distribution plan? Who are the people that are going to do the marketing and the sales for you? Because to me, it's all about cash. It's all about cash. And, and, and do you, can you convince me that you have got the value proposition that is going to throw off cash after a period of time? Uh, or is it going to be one of those companies that you have to keep funding and funding at losses and losses for years and years and years just to get market share? I don't get too involved with stuff like that because my time frame is way too short. And, um, but I, I, I really do really, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? value something that's, oh, wow, we can make money this way. Here's our gross margins. Here's how we get to marketing it. And I really get into the nitty gritty of the financial part of it. And so to me, that's 
I think one of the stronger things I look for and in, in before I make a startup, uh, an investment in a startup is, let me see what the cash flow is going to look like. Let me see what other precedents have been set before in terms of what the valuations are. And as you know, valuation of a startup is pretty, there's not too much science behind it. It's a lot of art and a lot of experience between individuals who sort of, what's this worth and what's the value and where's it going to go and can you get people interested in because as we all know as angel investors you know you've got to what do you if you you'd be so damn lucky if you got like 20 percent or 30 percent of i mean i haven't heard of too many 30 percent but you know 10 to 20 percent if you can get them to pay off in the multiples that you want uh, then you're doing well but but you got to do a lot of risk taking and a lot of investments and throwing stuff up against the wall, you know, before it sticks. No, you're, you're very true there. We spend a lot of time going through uh, all the paperwork and the plans and the structure. And you mentioned it a few times. It really comes down to uh, how are they planning? What, what kind of things are they looking for future? How are they building value? How are they generating uh, revenue, cash flow? Uh, and it comes back to a lot of the time, it does come back to that owner. And the CEO is, uh, it's really important for that person or persons that are going to be in that position because they're the drivers behind it and they got to be passionate and driven to uh, make this succeed as well. So uh, in taking to that, is there um, anything on the kind of, maybe it's a team, maybe it's the paperwork. Is there one thing that really that you say, make sure you have this because if you don't have this investors shouldn't jump into this company. Yeah. If, if you don't show how they're going to get their money back, if you can't show with logic, with facts, with figures, with comparables, if you can't show how somebody is going to get their money back, uh, you, 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 there's no use wasting anybody's time. I mean, you can have the brightest idea, but you, know, you ask people for money. Most people who have money to invest like angels, they've worked very, very hard, They're, especially in this country to have money left over after taxes. I mean, you're, you're work, most of the time you're working with 50 cent dollars and we, and we don't get the support from governments here in Canada that says, if I'm an angel investor, I mean, they should be matching, giving us, what was it? The BC, I think had a wonderful program here, BC and Alberta, where they gave you 30% uh, immediate credits, right? If you yes. are an angel investor. And, I've yep. been, and they still I, do. Pardon? And they still do. And they still do. I mean, and I think that that's a fabulous, fabulous approach. And, and we just, I think there's a gentleman here, uh, you may have heard of him, Anthony Lacavera, who started Win Mobile. Yeah. Uh, love some of the things he has to say, which is he's, he's, he's a real pusher for the fact that governments have to become more aggressive. And I, for years, I've been saying one of my favorite, favorite comparables is the fact that look at what Israel's been doing. Here's Israel. Ontario is 49 times the size of Israel. They got eight plus million people and Southern Ontario is 12 plus million people. We should be able to compete with anybody in the world. They're doing it. I'd love to see us get to the same point, but we need the type of government risk taking like we as angel takes risks to match what we're doing. And that's how the system really gets to be expanded. And that's how you start to making a big difference to your economy going forward for all these uh, for all of us and very honestly the the whole uh startup who cannot convince me that there's going to be a way of getting that money back then he's he's, he's not going to have very much success 
No, that's a great point. And uh, I spent some time over the this past Christmas, uh, December and January, and I was going through Israel as well. And I met with lots of startups there. And you're right, the support that they get is incredible. The same thing in Chile. They have an incredible support system for startups there as well. And they know they don't have funding. So they have an outside angel group that invests in companies in Chile because they can't afford it. Uh, but then they get a lot of that support. And then the governments come in and help companies that come in and give them 60000 just to boot to start their startup there. So there's a lot of things that um, these economies are doing to try and get behind startups now, which is ph phenomenal. And you're right, if they can't show you how they're going to make that payback, then you know that this is going to be a lot tougher slug um, than what you're looking for in, in any side of business. Um, you mentioned about the board seats, not something that you jump into. Uh, anymore and um but is there when you were in doing this did you take leads on any of the investments uh, and is that something you still like doing and it doesn't mean it doesn't have to be for money it can be just purely leading to get that company closing some dollars yeah yeah i i just about just about all the companies i'm involved with uh i i do take the lead in really becoming a uh, a vocal advocate for the company uh some of them like i say i've invested in five or six local ones over the last five years. So one to two, not that we have a lot of selection, right? I mean, we're Northern Ontario and we're really basically Sudbury, greater Sudbury of 200,000 people. So it's, the, the pickings are a bit slim, but we, I think we've picked some pretty good winners that, to go with over the last you know, five years. But I, I love taking the lead. Uh, I, I do get involved with being advisors to the boards, to the individuals, if I don't invest in them uh, and becoming very vocal because um, I think that over the years, the millions of dollars that I've spent in trying to do TV commercials, radio commercials, all of the things of getting people into our stores to buy product from us in a very competitive field. I've learned what to say, what not to say uh, and, and how to say it. So the messaging, the actual messaging of how you put together a pitch, how you put together individual pitch slides, how you, how you talk, how you convince people, uh, the amount of time that you, 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 you have to try to convince one person to go from one slide to another slide. And, I, I, and I've dubbed them Peter Dalbianco's mini 30 second commercials. If I can't get your interest, if I can't capture your imagination and get you say, oh yeah, well, I, I like that, to go to the next slide, right? And, and you've got 30 seconds to a minute to be able to put that across because, and I've always held my, my, my clients to 12 to 15 minutes maximum. That's, that's all you've got. You know, if you can do it in 12 minutes, great. You can push it to about 15. But after that, you start losing people. Uh, and if you can't sort of put your idea across in 12 to 15 minutes, then you haven't had the right mentoring to be able to do it properly. That's awesome. And, and I love the, the whole messaging around convincing people and you've got 30 seconds because you're right. Elevator pitch, you've got 30 seconds to keep peak my interest and uh, the 12 or 15 minute pitch. Uh, we actually cut it down to seven minutes because I love it. falling asleep at 15. And I said, you know what, if I can't get this uh, message across around your entire company in seven minutes, then we got something wrong in seven minutes just seems to zing by and you feel like I can't wait to ask questions. And, and that's really what it comes down to. And I love that uh, you've got that real fast, get it in there, learn it and move on. So that 30 second pitch is, uh, is phenomenal. Is there in, inside of this, um, you, you kind of start to look at where this company's going. I want to invest. Is there, 
is there terms that you focus on? Like, do you, are you against safes? Do you like safes? Uh, you've obviously done this lots of times. So is there certain models that you really like and push the startups to do, or do you kind of stay clear of it and let the lawyers do it? No, no. Uh, lawyers, <laughs> no. Uh, I, I, I love lawyers because you hate them or love them. And I've learned to love them because I take one attitude, which is I'm telling you what I want. You're a lawyer. I want you to give me this legal advice, and but I'm telling you what we're going to do. And I think there's a lot of cases where lawyers and accountants, God bless them and their professions, they're absolutely necessary. But none of them, most, sorry, I shouldn't say, shouldn't say none of them. Most of the ones that I've come across and I've come across many haven't started a business. They don't understand risk. They don't understand what it takes to be a real entrepreneur. They, they, they love working with you. They love taking your money. But in terms of being able to um, get them to give the proper type of feedback, um, you are the owner. You're the one that's paying the, the dues. You should be getting the advice from them. So for me, I look at each individual client that I get involved with and I say, what's the best way that today, if, if we can't sort of pick a valuation then of course you're going to have to do a safe or you're going to have to do a convertible debenture because if there's just no way of putting together some sort of number of where it's what it's worth that you can't convince other angels, then you have to go to those, you know, like I say, convertible debenture or some sort of loan arrangement or guaranteed return. Um, and then, however, what I do like if, if I can come up with a pretty good handle on the valuation, I like coming up with just common shares. I like coming up with common shares. I love coming up with maybe preferred shares if, if, if needed. Um, but the moment that I, I fall in love with that, it's, that it becomes the rating out of, out of my three value propositions I told you about, you know, the people, the need, the competition, yep. you can score over 20 or 22 out of 30. Each, each section has 10. And if you can score 20 to 22 over that, you have my interest. Let's really look to see if we can go into common shares. And again, we talked about I regained before. I love the fact that we were pretty solid about the valuation and going to common shares because then you've got vested interest. You're in there, you're a shareholder. You, you, can, you can talk with passion. You can ask questions. You've got skin in the game. And that's, that's probably my favorite. I love it. I'm a big fan of common shares. <laughs> it's very good. It's very good. I love that. Uh, so, now that you've been working with all these different companies over time, how does the communication work? You're invested, you're getting all this material, or at least you think you're getting all this material. Is there a, a preferred way that you want them to communicate with you? Because you just mentioned that you're invested, you're passionate, you want to be in there talking. How are you getting that feedback? Are they putting you on email lists? Are they on auto dial? Like what's the, what's the best way for you to be able to really help them grow? Well, they, 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 Yes, I have them all on auto dial. First of all, I want to be kept abreast of any, um, and they know this up front of any challenges, any problems, any setbacks. Uh, I, I, I want to see cash projections. How you're going to deploy cash properly? How you're going to use it? How you're going to how you're going to maintain the ability? You know, I love setting milestones. What you have to do? Show me that the milestones we're going to get to the certain place. Report to me if you can't deliver on those milestones. Um, so yes, uh, constant contact with them. That's why there's so, much, especially over the last 
three months to so many Zoom meetings with all of these individuals that I, that I ask is it bring me up to date where you are, what's your cash position, what's your burn, what's going on, how can can we pivot, conserve cash, what can we do, can we use any government uh, 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 grants that are out there and policies that are out there, which I know that was one of the questions you asked me, you know, do you do you like doing government grants? I, I you haven't got a choice, right? There, are, there is quite a bit of money out there. You have to prepare yourself when you go after government money. There's no damn way you're going to get it fast enough. It's a, such a frustrating uh, experience at times to whether you're going to NOHFC or FedNOR or other venture funds or it's the due diligence. And, and the problem is a lot of these investment committees haven't got a god darn clue how to actually do the due diligence properly. You know, here in Northern Ontario, we have Northern Ontario Heritage Fund Corporation. It has hundreds of millions of dollars to give out. In the last six months, 12 months, I guess, I've been really going through the process of trying to help the Northern Ontario Angel, uh, uh, the NOA, work closer with NOHFC because the due diligence is done by MNP. And, and, and the way they do due diligence is mind-boggling and I had to get involved again with, with iRegain because... Uh, the due diligence, they, they didn't do any kind of due diligence. You know, they did the zeros add up here, the, the, the check marks, and again, the accounting firm going through trying to do diligence to try to get you some money. And so I really spent quite a few hours over the last five or six months trying to educate the MNP people, the NOHFC Investment Committee people, the NOHFC Board of Directors of how we got to work closer together. And, uh, I think we've become quite successful. We'll, we'll know by the end of today because there's a board meeting today and I've been told not to worry that uh, I've got my point across very well. So the, the whole working with government grants, you've got to be patient. You've got to keep pushing them. You've got to help them. Uh, you can't take an adversarial effect to it, but don't expect to get the money quickly. It's, uh, it takes, Northern Ontario anyway, it, it takes, you'll be lucky if you can get nine months if you can get money into your bank account within nine months that's just I, i'm being very very liberal here in february i think the money comes in maybe if we're lucky by 12 months i think that's very that's pretty common and, and you alluded to earlier that a lot of these places they're they're not entrepreneurs running these businesses they are uh, just people in business and they have a different way of looking at what an entrepreneur does and the lifeline of an entrepreneur is really trying to figure out how they can do sales and keep cash flow running, manage burn rate. And a lot of these times these programs are really helpful, but they do take a lot of time to execute. So one awesome of you to go in there and start to help them understand this because it's common everywhere. It's almost like you should be recording these videos and posting them and sending them out when you're fighting these battles, because there's a lot of people that don't have that understanding, but it is, it's honestly, it's a, it is a really big need because there is a, a big gap uh, with governments understanding how to support startups. Um, they think that it's just some people hanging out at home doing some work here and there and not really wanting to drive it forward and grow a business when it's obviously the complete opposite of that. Uh, but that's some, that's some great insights and, and uh, really appreciate that for sure. So if we take this whole rounding experience, we've kind of gone right through the funnel. We've learned a ton about how uh, you started, where your investment started, the types of companies you're investing in, uh, the paperwork, the due diligence, the team, 
CEO, all these great things that you look at, is there any underlying part that you could say that really makes a startup successful that you could really get behind? Um, well, again, without repeating myself, um, they've got to really, first of all, they've got to be the right people. I mean, again, it always goes back to, you can have the most brilliant idea, uh, but it, that person hasn't got a clue how to uh, a take mentorship guidance, how to manage, how to be personable, doesn't have the passion, doesn't have the resilience. I, I keep using that word a lot because my God, if there's anything that defines success in 45 years in retail is the fact that, especially in, in Northern Ontario, you got to be resilient to all the crises that come along the different ways from strikes to, to financial crisis to, you know, I mean, you can name them all over the last six, uh, 40, 40 years. So the team definitely has to be there, but it really has to be, you know, tell me the problem. They have to really convince me that the problem is out there and that your solution is going to make a huge difference. It can't be a 10% improvement. It just can't be a 10, 20% improvement. It's got to be a huge number. So for example, I'm working with a mining company here that their solution will bring each mine site 15 to $18 million better bottom line. That's huge. That's huge. And, 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 I, and I look at a, a company like, again, like I regain the fact that they're going to, there's so many people suffering who can't get proper support and help. I mean, I have to give you this real example uh, here in Sudbury. There's a, a doctor by the name of Dr. Michael Franklin, brilliant, brilliant young man. He's got one of the, best homes here in Sudbury, and I only say that because he's been very successful at what he does. He suffered a stroke two years ago. He could have had any kind of, he actually moved to Toronto to get, you know, help with some of the, the best people in Toronto. He had to come back and get treated by, I regain within five sessions, immediately saw a difference. So, so you, you look at, is there a need of something? boy, you got my real interest. And you've got people who giving you purchase orders or line up, like I use it as the example of they're outside my store. I've, I've got a big sale on and they're lined up outside my store to get, to get into the store, right? Obviously, they, I have something that they want. So you got to kind of prove the same thing to me with a startup. And I recommend that if you can get people lined up to say, yeah, I want that. Boy, that idea sounds great. There's nothing like it. And it's a value proposition. It saves me money, saves the system, and it makes me more productive. So, I hope you get the understanding is that the messaging of what they have proved to me that people want it. And if you can prove to me that people want it, ah, it's like having a purchase order almost at the door. And that really gets me interested. Oh, that's awesome. And I love that uh, the lineup, you're right. It's, we just expect that we build it. They're going to come, but yep. uh, if you can figure out a way to, um, solve a real major problem. And like you said, with the mining industry, if I'm going to save you $15 million a year, I'm going to make you $15 million a year. You're going to love what I got to say. And you're going to want to hear uh, and get me in the room so that I can chat more to it. So that very valuable. So we got two more questions and well, the one is going to be the crystal ball question. So I'm going to leave that one to the very end. But the question I have now is I'm really curious if through all the, the last, as you mentioned, the 45 years, if there's one real cool story of a startup uh, that you've got that you want to share that kind of just really highlights where something came from nothing and really took off. And if it was, you know, they were on the brink of failure and then they did X and then that just took them off. But 
I'm just looking for one of those amazing stories that you can share about uh, one of your experiences that's happened over time. Um, well, I could probably give you two or three, but I, I have to pick the recent one. I have to pick the recent one of, uh, of uh, Sherry Tomchik again in Plan A. I mean, here's, here's a, a young lady, when I first got involved with her, I think she was 39 or 40. And I've always had a very soft spot for mentoring women. And, uh, and, and I'll tell you why, because they always get the, I think the blunt end of the stick. Uh, they don't get the real recognition. They don't get the support in a, in a real kind of male dominated type thing. And so I would tell you that um, when I started talking to Sherry, she, she actually started the company many, many years ago as a nurse in long-term care facilities, she has such a passion for providing uh, care for the long-term care patients. And she was, what she was finding was that there's so many times that shifts were missed, shifts were missed. And so she said, I, I bet you I can sort of get a combination between PSWs and nurses who want to work extra hours. And I'm going to try to get them lined up with these long-term care facilities that are missing a shift because under the normal way, the normal way, all of these homes would try, if there's a shift missing, they get on the Rolodex, get on the phone, they get on the fax. And it take, took about 45 minutes. I mean, that's the average. It was about 45 minutes to try to fill a shift. So all of that work and effort to try to fill a shift well, she came up and developed an app and she owns the company, the actual software behind it called StaffStat. And people get notifications within 25 seconds to 30 seconds and they can fill a shift. So she started off planning a long-term care facility just here in Sudbury. And when I first got to her, she was poor soul, knew very little about how do I take this idea to somewhere else? And I mean, she was just very trying to manage cash flow. You know, she had two companies that, so we really started talking and I said, well, tell me everything about what you're doing. What you're, and I quickly dubbed her. I said, look, you've just got the Uberization of shift filling. You're not scheduling. You're not doing any of that. You are the best shift filler there is out there. And it was like a light bulb went off in her head. Just, oh my God, you're right. So we quickly separated the companies. The SAFSTAC company was one way. The Plan A long-term care healthcare was another way. And we quickly looked at how we could expand because she was getting questions from other, in, uh, in other municipalities like North Bay and Sault Ste. Marie here locally, right? So we talked quite a bit about how to form the companies. We had to get her companies properly structured, get the proper accountant at that time to help her, which uh, we spent a lot of times in terms of looking at the marketing and what she was saying and how she was doing it and, and, and the benefits of it. And that story developed into what I just told you before. She's just a firecracker. And especially during this COVID crisis, she's been turned to many, many different times. A lot of people know the company called Book Jane out of, out of Toronto, which has done extremely well, raised millions and millions of dollars. And people compare her to that and I've said, no, 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 you're, you're not like them. What, here's what happens because her pool of plan airs, she trains, she, she, she does a filtering work, 
She, she does all of the assessment and the due diligence behind that individual, and they become her official plan heirs. So only these official plan heirs do they get to be put into the long-term care facilities, and each one are specifically working with each long-term care facility. So she becomes a partner to the long-term care facility, and she is, saves them all kinds of money. She makes money on the difference in spread, what she spent, you know, as she matches her pool, pool A uh, plan heirs, to, to the actual need. And her Uberization idea has just taken off like crazy. You now she's got like say 27 or 28 franchises here in Ontario. And um, she just opened up in Toronto. Uh, she may be looking and she did it all. And it, here's really interesting talking about angel investing. She did it all herself. She bootstrapped, she mortgaged, her husband bought into it. They, they mortgaged their life away. They, they bootstrapped it themselves because I said with the Right from the get-go, I said, if you want to do this the fastest way, if you've got assets, you do it yourself. And trying to get angels, trying to get government grants and money and all that to start it off with, you, you, you will have difficulty and you'll be wasting a lot of time. So through all of this, but she's now ready to go to some of the next levels. And she may be looking for some investment, but uh, we'll see what happens there. But she's just a firecracker. And I, I just love that story because... So proud of her because she took mentoring properly. She worked her buns off. She sacrificed. She, she's a great presenter, and she's got a great franchise system. Oh, that's amazing. See, that's what I love. The stories that uh, come from what you had to figure out, go through all the tough stuff to get to the better part, and through that whole way, she had someone giving her some guidance. So kudos to you, but that's, uh, that's an amazing story, and uh, I'm glad you were able to share that. So to take that exciting story and everything else that's going on, and I know you're passionate about healthcare, where are you seeing uh, on your crystal ball? What are you looking at in the next 12 months in this angel investment world? And then where do you see the rest of it going in the next three years? Well, I can basically speak for Northern Ontario specifically, and then I'll take it to a little bit of a broader one. Um, I, I think I may have shared to you that there's a lot of interest by well-heeled individuals, angel investors, business people to sort of help fund the startup. I mean, we're talking about startups, right? But as I told you, they're all busy running their own companies or doing their own thing. And for them to do the due diligence, what to look for and what to do, they're saying, Peter, you know, I love what you're doing. Uh, guess what? Uh, let me know uh, what, what I should or shouldn't do and it's became very apparent to me to get people to come down to pitches to do things here in, in Northern Ontario because of a ge geographical spread, very difficult. Um, so we're forming an NOA accelerator fund where we're selling units in the accelerator fund at a dollar each, a minimum $50,000 or 50,000 units. And we're going to raise $5 million uh, over the next couple of years to really, and we'll do it in tranches of course, and how we're going to have then the pool, the NAF pool, that will have their own due diligence committee, investment committee. And I, we've got already a lot of people very interested in participating in that because we do have a, a, a kind of a roster that we want to see over the next, you know, three to five years where we've deployed that $5 million in startups and keeping the, the startups and scale-ups here in Sudbury. So... I'm very excited about that, and I will continue mentoring with that. I have uh, some replacements who will take uh, actually over the, the, the angel kind of work. 
uh, bright, two bright young people here in Sudbury. Um, uh, Cliff Richardson is his name and um, Jean-Francois Damaray. They own their own wealth management company and we're very excited working together as they transition to become the NOA consultant for Sudbury by the end of the year. But I'm going to be still involved with uh, mentoring them, maybe being on their investment committee and sort of continuing the process until uh, you know my health stays up and uh, the good Lord gives me the ability to do it for, for Northern Ontario. For, for Canada, for Ontario, I'm quite convinced that with all of this talk about innovation and the government wants to do it and that it, it's, it's a real, I think we've got a tremendous opportunity. Things like you're doing yourself, Jeffrey, I, I just, I look at the number of uh, uh, startups and ideas that VCs, that, I mean, last year, as you know, last year in, in VC investment was one of the biggest ones in Canada, like six and a half billion dollars. And it's way above what we normally do on, uh, like, I think our, during recent, recent years, I think the average has been about like three and a half billion dollars. But last year we blew it out of the water. And I think COVID really put a real damper on this year. We may go back. But the, I think the momentum is starting. And we've got some pretty bright individuals in this country that really can sort of take it to the next level where we can continue going six, ten billion, uh, billions of dollars per year, uh, just like in Israel where they almost raise it on a, on a yearly basis, billions of dollars, right? Uh, so I'm quite excited. I, I just wish it was younger and had better health and be part of it even more, but I'm quite excited about where it's going. Very optimistic um, that we are going to become quite a quite a force ourselves in this country. So it sounds like you're you're predicting that Canada is going to be a bit of a juggernaut in the early stage startup space, more than we kind of already are. And it's uh, there's a lot of bright minds out there, and if the government can keep getting behind it, uh, there's going to create more opportunities. Absolutely, yep. Keep my fingers crossed. That's exactly it. Oh, that's brilliant. Well. Peter, I appreciate all your time. I, I think that um, everybody learned a lot. I learned a lot and I'm a fan of taking notes. So I've been writing like crazy. So uh, I think everything you had to say and share from the types of investments that you look for to what you get behind on a startup, uh, the CEOs to uh, all the content and stories you shared. It was phenomenal. I thank you very much for that. Uh, you're an incredible man and uh, you've done a lot of great things and you've helped a lot of, a lot of startups get their ass off the ground and do something. And I'm only choosing to use the word ass because uh, you, you were the first person to cuss in, the, uh, in our interviews. And I want to take that one extra level, make sure that I'm supporting your uh, passion for that. But uh, I do appreciate it, man. You've done incredible work. And um, just like uh, the Irigain guy said that uh, you're a rock star. And I'm glad that we got the opportunity to chat today and go through all of this. But I appreciate it. And please launch that. Um, uh, that fund. And if we can participate in any way, please let us know. But I think that that's uh, a great initiative. And I think it's going to make uh, a big difference in the Northern Ontario side of things. You're very welcome. And thank you for the opportunity and uh, pleasure to meet you. And I'm sure we'll be communicating as we go on. Good luck. You bet. Awesome. Thank you very much, Peter.